Welcome to the Brick Podcast, produced here at the Brick Store Museum in Kennebunk, Maine. Bricks construct our communities and link past, present, and future. Here in Maine, bricks can be found in our town halls, our sidewalks, our schools, our cultural institutions, our courts, our homes, and our fireplaces. As cultural metaphors, bricks can describe our strength, a brick house, our suffering, oh, hit like a ton of bricks, our frustration, hitting a brick wall, our determination, brick by brick, and our way home too. Just follow the yellow brick road. As bricks weave through our community and our culture, this podcast will do the same. Hello and welcome to the October 2020 episode of The Brick. I'm Cynthia Walker, Executive Director of the Brickstore Museum, and your host today. Every October here at the museum, we get calls and inquiries surrounding the 1947 Maine forest fires, which swept the state, including here in York County. This podcast episode is dedicated to exploring fire history. In October 1947, epic forest fires blazed their way through Maine, burning nearly 200,000 acres. During the late summer and early fall of 1947, Maine experienced a severe drought which fueled several small fires. As the month progressed, the fires increased in number and degree of destruction, peaking on October 23rd when strong winds fanned the flames, destroying several communities. York County suffered more damage than any other region in Maine. By the end of October, one-fifth of the land in the county had burned, and with it, hundreds of homes and businesses were destroyed. Those that lived through it described the fire as sounding like an oncoming freight train. The blaze was so fierce, you could actually hear the roar as it approached. Many of the stories describe how fast it moved. The strong winds not only pushed 60-foot flames into the air at one time, but also moved the ground fire up to 5 miles per hour. Thus, a destructive wall of fire went through communities like Goose Rocks and Cape Porpoise in just several hours. The Brickstore Museum is always looking for oral histories, written accounts, or images from the 1947 fire. If you have any information to share, please contact us here at the museum using our email address, info at brickstormuseum.org, or of course you can call us at 207-985-4802. Joyce Butler, local historian and former curator here at the museum, wrote a famous book on the events called Wildfire Loose, The Week Maine Burned. You can still find this book here in the museum store and on our website. I'll also note, that to hear the entire history of the 1947 fire, visit our digital learning center at brickstormuseum.org education to hear former town historian Steve Spofford's recorded lecture on the timeline of the fire that he did for the 50th anniversary of the fire in 2017. This is an oral history conducted by Steve Spofford, who was former town historian in 2017, with a woman named Sandra Karen, who grew up in Lyman, and she's going to be talking about her experience as a child in 1947. 
My name is Steve Spofford. Um, I'm the Kennebunk Town Historian and immediate past president of the Brickstone Museum. And I'm here today with Sandra Karen from Lyman, Maine. And we're primarily discussing her memories as a child of the 1947 forest fire, particularly the one that burned uh, through much of York County, all the way from Newfield down through... Um, Alfred and Waterboro and Lyman into the western section right. of Kennebunk. Right to the ocean. Yes, and then there was another fire, of course, that was burning um, at the same week in October of 1947 that was burning through Arundel into Kennebunk Port and coastal Biddeford. So, um, welcome, Sandra. And um, you were just beginning to discuss the fact that you... Um, was what was your parents' name, and how did you guys come to be living in in Lyman at the time of the fire, and and what your memories are? I'll let you just convey to us what you have from memories with your family. My father was Cecil Ricker. He was a potato farmer, C.J. Okay. Ricker. He had been raising potatoes in Alfred, decided he wanted his own farm, and bought a farm in Lyman. Okay. My family moved there in about October of 1946. Okay. I could not come with them because I was in school. My brother and sister were not. Okay. So I stayed in Springvale with my grandmother while the family moved to Lyman. I... When school was out in September, in June, I moved to Lyman with them. So June of 47. Now, where was the farm in Lyman? On the Old North Berwick Road, 26 Old North Berwick. No, it was not. It was just the Old North Berwick Road. We were RFD2 at yeah, the time. Yeah, exactly, right? There was, there was, there was, <laughs> there no, was no, post, numbers. no numbers. We had no numbers. Uh, it is 161 now, I believe. Okay, okay. So the farm buildings are still there. Okay. The property is still there, no longer in our family, but all it is right. still there. But still, the buildings yes. are still all Yes, it is. There. And so I came down in 47, started school at Cousins Memorial School in Goodwins Mills. Yeah. And then in October, the fire started. Right. I didn't pay much attention to it. I was 10 at the time. And sure. so didn't pay much attention to it until it got closer and closer. Right. And the day before we evacuated, my job was to put out the ashes as they fell on the ground or to hose them down as they came on the roof because my mother was there with the three of us by herself oh, because okay. dad was off fighting fire yes, somewhere. Absolutely. Because he was a farmer, he had irrigation pumps, which he took with him. He had um, a big tank truck okay. that went with him. His brothers ran an equipment, farm equipment building um, in Alfred. It was E.C. Ricker and Sons International sure. Harvester. Okay. And so they were off fighting the fires also because they had equipment that they could use. Yeah. Um, Indian tanks, brooms, rakes. Right. Whatever anybody, Shovels, wh whatever <laughs> anybody could find. Anyway, so my mother was there with myself and my brother and sister. My brother was five. My sister was two. 
Okay. So it was really Mom and I. Okay. And she was busy frying donuts for the Red Cross. Oh, wow. And I was okay. busy putting out cinders as they came. Oh, wow. One of my most vivid memories is the night before we evacuated, we put my brother and sister to bed upstairs, and we had dormers, and there were windows in those dormers. Right. We didn't have to put the lights on because of the flames from the fires yep. all around us. Yeah, the sky was just It bright. was orange. It yep. was amazing. And then the next day, we had fireballs on occasion, and the cinders got really large and really okay. hot. Uh, we were on a water pump, so my hose would run for a while, and then there was no more water. You had yeah. to be careful because if you emptied the water pump, you had to go down and prime, prime it, again. it again, so I had to time things. Anyway, Mom got a phone call that said it's time to leave, Sarah. Pack okay. your kids up and go. I will, but I have to finish frying the donuts oh for my. the Red Cross. <laughs> so she finished frying the donuts for the Red Cross, and I stomped out the ashes that came. We put my brother and sister in the car. She took the head from her sewing machine and put it in the trunk of the car. The valuable thing to my mother was, was her children and her sewing machine. <laughs> And clothes for us, I presume. I don't remember. Okay. And we got in the car. Because we'd only lived there a short period of time, she only knew one way to get to Sanford where her relatives were. And it was down the back dirt road, up the old Kennebunk Road, yep. which was dirt. Yes. And as we're driving along, there were flames on both sides of us, the smoke was so heavy she could barely see it with the lights on. She'd stop every once in a while, get out, put her hands down, make sure she was in the road. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and we made it to Sanford to stay with my relatives there. When the fire was finally over, we saw Dad once. My father found us. He knew we'd, he had been to the house to make sure we had left. Okay. Um, and he put the dog and three chickens in the cab of his truck. He said the dog wasn't bad. The three chickens were a nuisance. <laughs> he said it's very hard to drive with a chicken on your shoulder. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that's what he saved when, when he came through. And he knew where we were and that we were okay. Okay. And he came, stopped in, and, and he told us that the house was still there when he went through. He didn't know how long it would be, but it was still there. Okay. And um, he was black from head to toe, absolutely. Stopped in, had a shower, slept for a couple of hours, and went right back out again. We didn't see him again for a week. Oh, okay. And they okay. were all they were all off fighting. They yes. really were. Absolutely. And. When it was over and we went back home, we did have a house, thanks to a neighbor. One of the neighbor's mother would not leave, and he stayed with her. Oh, wow. And they okay. lived 
down a lane so that he could see the house from where they lived. He okay. wasn't along beside, he was behind. We had lumber. Dad had um, cut all the pine and had the lumber sawn for a new home right beside where we were. We lived in a very small cabin. Okay. But there was a cellar hole for a very large house right beside the cabin, and Dad was going to build a, a home. And it burned. All of the lumber burned, but it was across the street from the house, and okay. Dorrance could see the outline of the house and knew it was still there yeah, through sure. the smoke. Okay. So he walked up through the hay fields, and he used our hose and a bucket, and he saved the house for us. Wow. So we had Dorrance to thank you for that. Oh, wow. Then when we got back home, the fire was all out, but I still had a job. I had a bucket of water, and the fire was burning underground. Sure. And so it would pop up in the back fields, and the fields that were hayed and not had potatoes on them, and it would pop up, and my job was to go down with that bucket and put those out. And, and I was young, so I don't remember how long that went on. But okay. it was amazing how long it went on with that burning underground and just, just popping up in places. Yeah. You yeah. know, it was amazing. So how long do you think it was that you were with your your relatives in, in, in Sanford? Over a week? A or? week anyway. A week yeah. anyway. Okay. Yeah. yeah. When you're 10, you don't pay attention. Right, sure. <laughs> to, oh, absolutely. To, you know, to how long it was. I know I stayed with my grandmother in Springvale for a while, and, and my brother and sister and my mother stayed with my aunt and uncle in Sanford. And then I ended up with them, and I don't remember the going from my grandmother's to my aunt's or why. But Okay. You know, that, Absolutely. that was where we ended up. So we were there probably a good week sure. before we before we came home. And the house next door had burned. Okay. There was a quite a distance between the houses. We were farms and so you right, know, there was sure. a distance between them. But there was just the one house, if I remember correctly, on that road that burned. Okay. Wow. Which was amazing when you think about it, mm. because oh, the fire, you know, the fire did go right through. Yeah. I live on a piece of the land now, and there are still trees that you know were burned in '47. You yes. know, they're they're, okay. they're still standing. Right. And if anybody mm -hmm. comes in and cuts timber, and my brother lives next door, and he's having his um, some of the timber cut. And the man who's doing it can tell. Sure the trees can. that survived the fire in 47, which to me is an amazing thing, but they yep. can tell. Yes, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, very interestingly, because my family owned land down in Fortune's Rocks uh -huh. and in Goose yeah. Rocks, where it burned through. It did, right to the ground. And um, I remember as a kid in the 1970s, with my dad going and cutting the trees that were still standing that were completely burnt. Yes. And um, them being basically petrified. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And then when you would cut it, it would dull the saw. Yep. Crazily. It would, yes. it would wreck it. 
But if you stuck it in your fireplace and or your wood stove, it would act like a piece of coal and, just and would burn forever. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. It would not just burn naturally like a, a freshly cut piece of wood. It's amazing, isn't it? It just would last in there like 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 a a, a huge chunk of coal and um, just burn. Well, for I hours. guess essentially that's pretty much what it was, right. isn't it? Exactly. When you think about it. And um, I had taken a lady from New England Public Radio yesterday over to um, the Kennebunkport area of the fire, and I found a tree. Really? Yeah, that was still of that Still standing. And you can't... I had her uh, take a branch and try to break break it. it. She couldn't break it. Wow. It's still... Yeah. And this is 70 years later. They they are yeah. amazing. Yeah. They really are. So yeah. did you live all the rest of your life in Lyman from... from I um, lived the next... Till I was 18. Okay. My family lived there up until my mother died. My dad died in 03. My mother died in... No, he died in 09. She died in 13. And oh, we live okay. as oh yeah. Who was your mom? Sarah Ricker. Oh yeah. Okay. Cecil right. and Sarah Ricker. Yeah. C J Ricker Potatoes. Yeah. They sold yeah. potatoes. We raised Absolutely. yeah. We, okay. we everybody <laughs> everybody around knows Ricker Potatoes because we right. sold at the door. Right. You know, and we all and Dad also sold to all the small stores around. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. You know, we delivered into Portland. Absolutely. Yes. The reason we moved to Lyman was for that piece of property. Okay. He had been, uh, Easy Ricker and Sons had the farm equipment business and they raised potatoes and they were in Alfred. Okay. And so he was the person who raised the potatoes. His two brothers and his mom owned Easy Ricker and Sons equipment. Okay. <clears throat> he was part of the company, but he was the potato person, oh, okay. and he wanted a place of his own. He wanted out of the business and to have his own place, and so um, he knew several of the farmers around the area, and he said, I'm looking for land that will grow good potatoes, and you need rocky land to grow good potatoes, potatoes. Yeah. and so Mr. set uh called him and said, I've got you a, you know, I found a place that's for sale and the land's good. And so dad came down and looked at it and bought it. And he bought it for the land, not for the small little house that my mother called the Plywood Palace. Okay. That was was on it. Okay. Now, did he ever build another house? He absolutely did, did, yes. We have, there's a beautiful three-story house there. The little house is gone. Okay. There is what looks like what used to be the little house still there. It's 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 a, a shed and garage, but the original is gone. Oh, okay. But I have many many photos of it. I oh, really okay. do. And so the young family that has bought the farm and they absolutely love it. They've got property enough so that they can raise crops and animals and there's it's still a farm and they're raising children also so it's you know it's terrific we didn't sell all of it we sold the the uh buildings and 28 acres we still my brother still has all the rest of the land oh okay anyway it's um 
it's still there and we've got lots of photos of it when it started out what it was when we moved, moved there and yeah. what it looked like when sure. dad got through excellent oh that's awesome yes it is yeah. it is Definitely. Yeah. a great place to grow up it was a great place to I grow bet. up you know absolutely i was there from about four years i guess no more than that i was there till i was 18 Okay. And then I went to school, and from school I married and moved across country, and oh, you know wow. didn't act, you know. And but when when we came home, when we decided to come home, uh, my ex-husband and I, we've got a piece of uh, dad's property, and we built a house on it. Oh, nice. And my brother lives right next door to me, and my wow. son lives up the street, and my nephew lives next to him, and that we're we're kind of. All right around. We're kind of all <laughs> along there. We really are. Awesome. But it's wonderful because the old farm buildings are still there, except for the one house that burned. Yeah. Um, and they're being used as farms. As a farm. You know, yep. they really are. Oh, that's great. The farm next door to Mom and Dad's burned later. It had nothing to do with the fire in 47. So that those original buildings are gone. Still a farm. Oh, okay. But the original buildings, buildings are gone. Are gone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, fabulous. This is excellent. Well, you know, like so many times when Joyce Butler wrote this book in 1979, mm -hmm. it was printed in 1979. She started working on it in 1976. Um, she very fortunately interviewed many many people who would have been adults which was very timely yes it was you know, very it, very it, timely. it really was um so she got a lot of first-hand accounts from people of their different stories right yes um, but i was looking through here nothing from a, your section of lyman so this is perfect that's true there isn't is there no. the only my uncle colby was interviewed by somebody, I think I'm quite sure his name is in that book somewhere. Okay. It's Colby Ricker. It's my my father's younger brother. Oh, okay. It just I think it happened to be where he was fighting fire because yes. they didn't fight fire together. I mean, no, they were scattered. They, exactly. they were scattered yes. everywhere. Um, I do know that there was a tremendous lesson in firefighting in that fire in 47. Okay. My uncle was the fire chief in Sanford at the time, and he also taught fire school. Oh, okay. And I remember talking to him years later, and he said there was a tremendous change in firefighting. Mm -hmm. They learned lots of lessons that they wished they hadn't had to learn. But communication was one of them. Yes. Being able to communicate from one fire company to another exactly. was such a challenge. Yeah. And so there were lessons learned from that fire. Yeah. 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 And of course, I think in this edition, which was the 50th anniversary, she discusses that that was one of the primary yes. improvements. Yes. Was yes. the intercommunication yep. between different uh, departments yes well apparently <laughs> had it not been necessary up till no, then or if exactly. there was it was just once in a while exactly. and nobody thought much about it yeah but of course these fires I I I got this out I don't know if you've ever seen this this was from the original version of 
uh, Joyce's book. It was a map that was made for this. And this is the uh, film of it. But this just shows... Um, it shows um, if, as you look at it. So here is the map of York County and part of Oxford County. So it shows that the fire, the fire that you're discussing started up in Newfield. Yes, came right down through. Came down into yes. Alfred and Shapley, Waterboro, almost all of Lyman. This is the town of Lyman. Lyman was one of the towns that pretty much disappeared. Yes. I know we had friends. Mom and Dad and had friends course, that lost everything. Right. This was Waterboro, but I think three-quarters of Waterboro because um, this is the Waterboro town lines are right here. Uh, there, and wow, just, yes. And again, same thing with Alfred. Alfred was a much smaller town, but and of course it came all the way down. So I know that the North Berwick Road is right over the Kennebunk line. It is, so yes. So it's right, right about here. Y yes. And you can see that it did come down into uh, Kennebunk, into what we call number 10, Absolutely, okay. <laughs> absolutely. Down um, to number 10. Yes, exactly. And then this is the fire that uh, I was describing yesterday to the lady that came from uh, New England Public Radio that started in North Kennebunkport, now Arundel, and basically burned all the to way the to sea. the sea. It did. It just yeah. burned right and to the sea. how close the two fires came. Yes. In, that they almost connected. Well, and a yes. lot of them did, but it did. Yes. It just seemed as though it it, se it seemed to, to to blow up like overnight. Yes. From that night where we could put the kids to bed with the lights from the fire to that next day when it just seemed to sweep right through. And I don't know the dates, but in reading the articles that I was reading, it it appeared to be about the twenty third. I think. Yeah, it went. Um, the the fires around the whole state went from approximately October the eighteenth to really being all out. There was a major rainstorm on October the twenty eighth. That's when it finally was all out. That really, there was a a system, a weather system that came in off of the Gulf of Maine. And that really gave a, a good soaking rain, finally. I remember the soaking rain, I do. Oh, okay. But you know, even after that soaking rain, those little fires kept sure. popping up popping in that up. back field. I don't remember them so much in the front field. Yep. But the back field, they kept popping up. Okay. It could have been that there were more stumps in the back than they were because sure. the it roots. was the area that we did not cultivate. Okay. And if you cultivate it, you don't have stumps. Yes, right, So right. thinking on that as an adult, that must have been what it was because it was usually stumps that that, that happened sure. to. Sure, yeah. And does anybody know how long it burned underground? Is... There's really no knowledge. They believe that this fire here um, was one that started underground. That it, that it and crept along. That and it crept along, and I believe that this one, too, um, that, that burned this major portion of York County up in the western part of it, was the same way. They were just, you know, combustible. Yeah. And um, 
I know that this fire up in, I believe, in um, up in Freiburg and, and uh, Porter and Hiram and Parsons, Brownfield, um, up in Oxford County, was, there was an accusation never um, substantiated that it was a cigarette that had been thrown. Oh, seems to me I did read something right. about that. Yeah, and that's mentioned in Joyce's but, book. But, but how would you know that? You really, not, not, th there was... Probably, logically thinking, this must be why. There was a huge campaign after this fire to stop people from chucking cigarettes out of their vehicles and Well, things. that's an excellent thing to do. <laughs> yeah, but there was a real, there was a real... Um, real push. Fire prevention campaign. Yeah. Which the state had not done before. Yeah. yeah. So. Yes. Yeah, it changed yeah. a lot of things. A lot of things did change. Yeah. yeah, they did. For the good. Yeah, absolutely. Tough way to learn, but. You got um, it. But for the good. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. You're for welcome. Coming in and sharing this with us. I could talk a hole through a penny. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs>
Charles and Pat, not going around, thought it all exaggerated and minimized the danger and the destruction, and I have made innumerable trips up to the house telling them about things. Last night there came an alert over the radio that Kennybunk was in the direct path of the fire. Biddeford was said to be doomed, and patients were being evacuated from the two hospitals. People in Kennybunk Port were told to leave their homes at once, and some came here to the Greenleaf. We didn't go to bed last evening, but lay down on our beds with our clothes on. I packed up everything in bags that I could get in, and put the rest in my trunk and locked it up. At about four, Mrs. Lafferty went around to say that Kennybunk would probably be alerted. Everyone got up, and I put my bags in my car, which was in back of the inn, and also Marie Peck's, as I said she could go with me if we had to leave. I then went up to our house and got Pat and Charles up to tell them. Late in the evening, I had gone to Lucinda's to return a little automobile rug that she had brought down to me some time ago, and found that she and Frank had packed silver, portraits, and so forth, ready to evacuate. Early this morning, while still dark, everyone was congregated downstairs with bags, ready to leave at a moment's notice. I had brought some emergency food the evening before to keep in my automobile, so passed around apples, sweet chocolate, and crackers to everybody, and Mrs. Lafferty made some coffee. As it turned out, we were not told to get out, so this afternoon I brought my bags back to my room, but everything is still packed. Things look better, but the air is thick with smoke like a fog, and the half-moon is red instead of white. Most of the towns around us have been burnt out or are threatened, and the village looks like a war. The Unitarian Church has been kept open night and day, serving meals to firefighters. The town hall is open for them to sleep there if they wish. The Red Cross has people coming and going. Truckloads of Marines in full battle dress and guns and steel helmets have arrived and taken over the policemen's traffic work. The hydrants by the IGA at Dane Street and across Main Street by the library have long hoses permanently lying in the street and a steady stream of great oil trucks, milk trucks, and every other vehicle that can transport water stand in lines to be filled, and then stand in readiness by the firehouse on Fletcher Street, behind the bank. Long strings of lights are on either side of the street to light it up, and a fireman stands by the window on the second floor of the firehouse and gives instruction through an amplifier. I stood there this evening, and it was most exciting. All sorts of trucks were there to convey men and boys to different fire locations, they were all piled in, wearing the hunting costumes that they had expected to use hunting this month, and one after another, trucks would pull out with instructions where to go and what to do. A steady stream of men were going in and out of the engine house and standing around the outside, and there were tanks and trucks as far as I could see. The O'Hara Watercolor School is completely leveled, and Elliot, Shirley, and their daughter June drove back here today. They had only left on Friday and got as far as New York. Mrs. Cleves, who ran their Bayberry Tea House, had just bought the Homestead Hotel at Goose Rocks and owned four cottages. She has lost everything, except her automobile and what she could put in it. Her brother has driven over from the Berkshires to help her, and they are both here at the Greenleaf. People seem to think we can go to bed tonight, but we may be rooted out. They all say any shift in the wind may change the situation. Sanford is threatened, as well as Wells, and I guess there is fire in both places. Kennebunk Pond, Lyman, and Limerick are all wiped out and part of Alewife. Bar Harbor and other places in Maine are destitute too, but fortunately there does not seem to have been much loss of life, and I certainly hope it'll continue to escape that catastrophe. Every man and boy is fighting fires now, so business is at a standstill. I have tried to make the museum as safe as possible.
Well, sister dear, au revoir, and best love to all. Devotedly, Edith. Last in our fire features today is our Citizen Spotlight series. This time, we're going to be hearing from current fire chief of Kennebunk, Jeffrey Rowe. This is Cynthia Walker uh, interviewing Fire Chief Jeff Rowe um, on September 17th, 2020. So starting question, uh, what generation do you consider yourself a part? Good morning and thanks for the invitation. Uh, <laughs> I, I looked at the questions and I fall in the boomers category. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so tell me about your first name. Where does it come from? Well, my name is Jeffrey. I go by Jeff and it's spelled J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, where a lot of them are E-R-Y, and there are some that are G-E-O. But, uh, That's right. I, I don't know if there's any huge significance to it. In talking with my mother years ago, she wanted a different name, so uh, that, that's all I know about it. Fair enough. But, uh, yeah. um, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Agunquit, which is just a couple of towns south of here. Yeah, right. What do yeah. you remember most about that? Uh, well, it's a... You know, a small community. I think there were maybe seven or eight hundred people as I was growing up there annually. Yeah. Um, it's got a nice fishing village there. It's got a nice beach. Yes. Uh, that's there's true. some nice culture there with the with the playhouse and art museums and stuff. But yeah. probably the thing that was that was neat about that was um, when you went through the winter, there was you know, like I said, seven or eight hundred people there, and you got tired of the isolation and the quiet and all that. And then along came Memorial Day, and more people would come in, and the town would blossom to, right. wow, 10, 20 <laughs> times the size. I mean, yeah. I think nowadays there's 40,000 people there in the summertime. I know. And then when you get sick and tired of those people, I shouldn't say it quite <laughs> that way, but when, when you were tired with the hustle and bustle and having to wait and traffic and all this mm -hmm. stuff, then Labor Day would come, and those people would go away, and you'd get your town back, and right. you could almost cross the road without looking. <laughs> so uh, it's been quite a while. I mean, I, I moved out of there in 77, so yeah. it's, it's probably not the same today, but that's kind of what I remember about <laughs> <That's> it. <fair. laughs> it's being a neat setup. Do you know if you're, um, this is an off question, but do you know if you're, is your house that you lived in still there? Oh, yeah, and my mother is, too. Oh, yeah, she, <laughs> yeah. My, my, well. uh, my father passed away a few years ago, and my mother's now 91, and she still lives in the same house oh, that wow. I grew up in. Yeah, That's very neat. Right on Burke Road. Oh, okay. Overlooking, uh, well, you can see the ocean from the house. And that is a nice view. Yeah, it's probably, <laughs> I don't know, must be a half, three quarters of a mile from the ocean. Okay, yeah. You can see it, and you can hear it in the storms. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so you were just mentioning um, your parents. So tell me a little bit about your mom and dad. Um, mom and dad, let's see. My father was originally from Kittery. It has some roots in Five Islands up by Georgetown. Okay. And then my mother is from the Agunquit area. Um, my dad worked for the telephone company for 37 years. Oh, wow. So a lot of people knew him, you know, climbing poles and right. all those utilities workers. And my mother worked in the in the uh, telephone office on Tacnic Road. I don't know if that's how they met. I <laughs> really haven't asked that question. But uh, once my brother and I, were, my brother was born and then I came along, uh, my mother was the, the quintessential housewife back then and took, took care of us and 
during the summer, you know, we went to the beach all the time and, oh, yeah. and like that. So, you know, my dad worked very hard and worked late, but once in a while, if he had to go back to work after dinner, hmm. he'd uh, sometimes sneak us into the telephone truck and we'd go off and have a grand old time. <laughs> so you mentioned you have a brother. Is that your only sibling? Yes. Yeah. Is, is he still around? Yeah. Well, uh, yes, because of my mother's medical condition, but uh, he lives in Venice, Florida now. Oh, wow. As for... 20 plus years probably. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, but he comes up every once in a while and helps out with my mom, and nice. and then when he's back in Florida, I help out. And yeah. We, uh, the roles have been reversed from from mother to sons. <laughs> right, of course. So uh, looking back at your childhood, people have a, a lot of different uh, memories. But what toy would you say you played the most with when you were young? You know, I I thought about that as I was looking at the questions, and there's a there's a lot of neat things. You know, I. I would say that I was fortunate, you know, because my parents, we had a good Christmas and things like that, so I had toys, but uh, not an overabundance. But I remember Tonka toys, you know, the oh, yeah. metal trucks and all that. And, of course, now they're plastic, right. or even if they're still around. But I still have those Tonka toys in a box oh, in my attic. <laughs> uh, but uh, great, great, uh, you know, imagination toys playing in the dirt outside, I had one that had a snow plow and a wing on it that Whoa. in the winter time when there was a little bit of snow on the ground, I'd go out and push it around and make paths thinking I would work for the DOT oh, yeah. or the turnpike. You know? <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so, but, That's uh, fun. Yeah, and bicycles were a big uh, part, you know, because yeah. it was a small community and oh, true. it was a very safe community. So yeah. we'd get home after school or even during the summer and take off for hours on bicycles exploring uh, right just pedaling around <laughs> who knows what the the adults thought of us as a tribe <laughs> on our bikes but yeah. uh, anyway uh, tell me something that you know about your an ancestors something that you found out um, when I was born I just had two living grandmothers oh. uh, both uh, both the grandfa grandfathers were had passed away since then so uh, my my grandmother Alice Boston hmm. uh, lived in Agunquit, and a uh, very smart woman. She worked for the post office for a number of years. Um, she was one of the first women selectmen in Agunquit. Wow! And uh, later in her life, she was blind, and so that was interesting. Growing up, going up, sitting in her lap, you know, and she would feel your face. Oh yeah, so sure. that she could see that. Oh. And then my father's mother. Uh, again, Kittery, but then she lived in Five Islands, which is another little fishing village down down Maine. We would go down, seems so every couple three weeks on a Sunday, we'd go down and visit her, and oh, yeah. we get to explore another whole community. So yeah, right. You know, That's a fine. couple of neat, uh, a neat uh, women that were in my grandparents that were in my life, and uh, yeah. Obviously, you were born close to here, but what made you come to Kennebunk? Um, well, I, from, from uh, Gunkwit, because I went off to college and then came back and ended up uh, landing a job up in, in uh, Sanford. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I bought my first house there and lived there for, for a number of years. I, I got married, and then we had a, a child up there, and we were looking to move someplace else to build a different home. And so one day riding around down in this area, we saw a for sale sign on a a vacant lot on Weber Hill Road, and we ended up buying that, and that's where I still live today. So wow. that was 20, 24 or so years ago. Oh, and uh, 
it's been neat. It's a little little parcel that borders up to the Mawson River. Yeah. Oh, so, wow. That's very nice. Yeah, enjoyable. <laughs> so did you, and this is kind of out of um, order, but did you move to Kennebunk before you were working for the fire department, or how did yes. that go? Yeah, I think, um, oh, I bet, uh, well, if I've been there 24, I've been in, uh, been the chief here for six and a half, so the math, right. I've been there quite yeah. a while. <laughs> yeah. I won't embarrass myself to try to count fingers here, but uh, uh, yeah, so yeah, I was the, the chief up in Sanford for a number of years, living okay. in Kennebunk. It's all, it was n like nine and a half mile drop. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But uh, it worked out well for that. Yeah. And I was a volunteer here in Kennebunk, oh, probably 20 years ago for, okay. for a stretch. Yeah. Uh, in the at the West Kenny Bunk Station. Oh wow! And uh, so I I took a hiatus as I became the chief in Kenny Bunk, mm -hmm. or as actually when I was a chief in Sanford, because I would show up at fires in Kenny Bunk as a volunteer, and a yeah. lot of the the volunteers would yield to me, even the officers that oh. should have been in charge. And it's like yeah. I didn't. I didn't think that was right because those volunteers worked very hard to get to officership. Oh, interesting. Okay. And for me to come in and just because I was a chief in another community, assume that responsibility, yeah. liability. So I, I talked to the previous chief and said, no, I'm just going to step aside and let, you know, your department run the way it is. If you need something from Sanford, call and we'll come. Wow. So, That's so interesting. I did about 10 years that stint and then there were probably eight or nine years in between there and when I actually became the chief here. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. So, um, and this is going back further, but what what made you uh, interested in being a fireman to begin with? <laughs> well, I think it's one of those things from, you know, your childhood where, you know, little, little boys back then and now uh, little girls uh, look at that and see, you know, the big red fire truck screaming down the road, uh, Whatever, and think that that's a, a neat, a neat job yeah. to be a volunteer. And so I started in Agunquit as a volunteer. Uh, we, we called them explorers now, but a junior at probably 15 years old. Oh wow! And okay. so, uh, you know, one thing led to another, and I went to uh, Oklahoma State University in uh, Oklahoma, obviously, mm -hmm. and studied fire science and engineering there. And wow. here I am today. Uh, She's 40 some odd years yeah. later, <laughs> making, a, making a living at doing what I love. That's good. That's all that matters. As human beings, we all share certain emotions. So tell me about a time that you were scared. Um, I was trying to think through as, as I looked at your questions and stuff about, you know, how many number of times, because it wasn't just one. Right. You no, know, of course. There's got to be a, a, a lot of bunch, a bunch of those. Yeah. But uh, probably the one that comes to mind the most, and it's related to my work, mm -hmm. through my professional career, I worked at Durham UNH Fire for a while. Oh, okay. And we were at a house fire bright and early one morning, and I don't know if it was in Durham or Madbury, but uh, we were on the second floor working in a fire, and I fell from the second floor all the way to the basement. Oh, my gosh. And so, because uh, that was back in... Uh, early 80s yeah and so there wasn't as big of a push for firefighter safety and awareness and teamwork and all that stuff so uh, it was it was quite a thought-provoking experience to say the least <laughs> I can imagine and, uh, that. you know it made out made out okay because uh, 
didn't fall into fire like okay. some people. Uh, yeah. But it just uh, certainly taught me how quickly a, a situation can go from bad to worse. Right, and, for sure. You know, first you're standing there with someone on the second floor and then you're not. Yeah, and, that must. Be. And how do you get out of where you're at? So, yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. Probably. That was probably one of the most fearful uh, situations. Yeah, that, I've had. that would stick in anybody's yeah. mind. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Am I going <laughs> to make goodness. it home to dinner? Yeah. You know? My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> that is frightening. Were you injured? No. Oh. No, I was on the I was on the hose line on the nozzle, and as the floor gave way, I just hung onto oh. it and yeah. pulled the hose, which probably arrested my fall. Yeah. It wasn't a direct second floor twenty right. foot fall. I had the hose, and as it you know, wow. the friction of the hose advancing down through. It, it was like a Mary Poppins with the umbrella, <laughs> you know, coming down. <laughs> right. So, uh, wow. but we went from where you knew where you were to a basement where I hadn't been. And it's yeah. like, all right, how do Look we get around. out? Yeah. With all the rubble around you. And there was no fire down there, like I said. That's but, good. Uh, just oh my gosh. Pride was injured severely. And, <laughs> well, yeah. as long as that's the only yeah. thing, I guess that's good. Talk about a time that you were sad, or something um, that made you sad. Probably a, a bunch of different things, similar to the scared part. But, yeah. you know, my dad passed away. He was he was 92. Wow. So absolutely, you know, he was a big part of my life. Yeah. Taught me a lot about doing all different kind of things, you know, and, and helping people. And, and he was handy with everything, you know, repair, house, construction, plumbing, electrical. And so, you know, I, I give him credit for that lesson. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's really sad, but when my daughter went off to school, you're yeah. sad in oh, a way, but yeah. you're happy in another, <laughs> yep. you know, because she's leaving the nest, so to speak. So yeah, that right. was, that was uh, a difficult time. And then uh, I had a dog for 15 years, and, and we had to put her down, and so that was a very sad occasion. That is sad. Yeah. It's sadder than yeah. a lot of people think, I yeah. think. Growing up, I didn't like dogs because oh. when we'd go out on our bicycles, what we talked about earlier. Oh, yeah. We'd be riding in a train of bikes, and the dog would come out at the first oh. guy. And through uh, physics, he'd always end up with the last guy. And yes, I was always the last guy, so <laughs> I've know. been bit a lot of times. Oh gosh! <laughs> but uh, this dog was the best. Was the best thing for me because I was a pack mate with her. You know, oh, yeah. my daughter and my wife wanted the dog, but who did the dog migrate to the most? Me. <laughs> and so that was probably something that was you know, will to happen, right. and it, it helped me with dogs, so I'm not uh, there you go. not nearly as afraid of, uh, <laughs> of the animals now. That's good. Um, so tell me about a time that you were happy, and of course, this can be millions of different things as well, but... Yeah, and uh, quickly, certainly my wedding mm -hmm. was good, you know, yeah. you get married, and uh, that was great, and I still am married to the same woman, so that's fantastic. Yeah, that is fantastic. And then uh, the birth of my daughter. Of course. You know, you think about those... Uh, <laughs> those landmarks and uh you know there's there's a story behind her birth but that's saved for another time perhaps <laughs> fine but, uh, yeah how how old is your daughter now she's 25 oh so yeah, not that recently gone no college. um she went to school down at quinnipiac yeah. university in connecticut and uh studied political science very good and she always wanted to work in washington and She's working in Washington. Wow, fantastic! Yeah, she's oh. a, she's a, she was a lobbyist down there for a small firm, and then just recently uh, changed uh, companies, and now is working with another group out of Arlington, Virginia. Wow! So, oh, fantastic! Uh, she's she's living her dream too, so that's Good. great. Yeah. <laughs> it's always nice when we get to do what we yeah. want. Yeah, 
Um, so moving on to some some culture topics, um, would you say you have a favorite book? Um, I probably a, a couple, and it's more like a series type thing. It's you know I've I've done a lot of uh, reading about the the wardens or the rangers at national parks and things like that, yeah. and that that brought me back to locally Paul Dwyron, who oh, was sure. an author here in Maine. Mm-hmm. Uh, geez, he's got several books now, but. Years ago, I got hooked on to the first one and, and have been waiting for every release since then. <laughs> Another one is C.J. Box, which is set in, like, Wyoming. Okay. And he's a, he's a warden. He's a fictions. But, uh, you know, those are interesting reading because it talks about the country as well. Yeah. You know, if we would explain about Kenny Bunk and the ocean and things like that, they talk about the mountains and those different areas. So that's pretty neat. Yeah. So oh, even though it's fiction, you get to live in that part of the country. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. So. Um, do you happen to remember the first movie you saw in the theater? I think I do. <laughs> and it's like, I'll say this, and somebody will say, well, geez, how old are you? Yeah. you come but Woodstock, the oh. movie about Woodstock. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because we were, we were young, and I think, I think we had to get notes from our parents to go see it. That's probably true. And it was at the Levitt Theater in Agunquit. Oh, okay, which yeah. Which is still open today, but... Right. Uh, it was a grand old theater, but uh, yeah. that was quite a quite a show. Well, that's funny. You know, oh. and if, if you think about it now and the history, and because the anniversaries have come and gone about it, yeah, it, uh, right, was quite a quite a happening. That's for sure. I don't think they've done <laughs> another one. I don't know if the fish concerts were like that up at uh, Loring Air Force Base here in Maine. Oh yeah. I don't think it's such a grand scheme, or mm. certainly. The people that went to fish didn't have to go through with the people that went to Woodstock. Yeah. <laughs> Nor did the, you know, the, there was a more of a commercial industrial setting at, at uh, Loring versus a farm out in the middle of upstate New York. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wow, that's a really interesting movie to see. Um, so tell me about your first car. My first car was a 1957 Chevy. Nice. You know, if I had that car today, it'd be sitting on quite a chunk of change. Yes. But uh, <laughs> I, I bought it from a woman that lived at Littlefield Campground in Agunquit. Okay. And it was that typical Chevy green, that dark oh. green color. Yeah. And I think I paid $300 for it. <laughs> okay. And it was, a, it was the most beautiful car in the world. Yeah. It was four doors, not two. Okay. So it wasn't as collectible nowadays as a two-door, but... Um, <laughs> Three-speed on the column, which you uh-huh. see on Facebook a lot. People ask you, you know how to drive one of these? Oh, yes, I've <laughs> it's seen like, that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but a big old badge. I mean, it was a huge, massive hunk of steel. And, yeah. Uh, you could open the hood and actually see the motor, but you could probably put two people in the engine compartment. It was it was just a neat car. Right. So, uh, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. When did, um, this is a question off of that, when did you, did, did you sell that car or what what happened to it? Yeah, I eventually sold a car. I, yeah. I, you know, had it for quite a while and used it to go back and forth to high school sometimes. Oh, yeah. I rode the bus most of the time because that's what uh, some controlling factors in my household wanted. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, which was probably pretty good because yeah. if I'd had a car at high school, who knows yeah, how yeah. I would have turned out. One of the neat things about that, I have a, had a friend over here in Kennebunk that I used to ride uh, motorbikes with motorcycles. Yeah. And uh, I could take the back seat out of that car 
and put my motorcycle in the back of that car and drive over here to Kennebunk. Oh my gosh. Unload it and go <laughs> riding with it. That's wow. how big it was. I mean, yeah. it was a like a hundred cc motorbike, but oh uh, not huge. But well, still, still, uh, <laughs> you got stopped by the cops and he looked in the back. It's like what in the world is <laughs> yeah, going on right. here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But to me, hey, that was pretty cool, you know. That is cool. You yeah, can, it was like, bring it around with you. Pickup truck, but it wasn't. So actually, this is reminding me of something, and I didn't write it on here, but. Um, since you mentioned uh, motorbikes, could you talk a little bit about that? Because I know we talked about it before. Um, uh, did, did you race? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you know, back, and I don't know what year that car, when I got that car, but uh, in that time I was racing mini bikes and then small motorcycles yeah. in the summertime. And we'd huh. go to different tracks and race and, and, uh, uh, I did a I did a fairly nice job at that. I've got several trophies from racing motocross and along wow. that line, and then I migrated onto the onto the street. Good, bad, or indifferent, survived that. But yeah. <laughs> uh, ended up buying larger motorcycles through the progression. I think that's what everybody does. But mm. I ended up drag racing motorcycles for a spell there at oh. uh, New England Dragway. Oh and yeah, I had okay. like. A, it was a Suzuki 1100 was my last bike. Wow. I think my best time on the drag strip was like 11, 1, 120 miles an hour. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so it's a pretty good ride. And <laughs> yeah. And, and the best race I ever had was against a bike that was identical to mine. Oh. So it was a good, it was a good measure. Right. Because uh, both bikes would somewhat go the same speed. Yeah. But it was, there was a measure of driving skill and yes. all of that involved in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, I can uh, see that. That all came to an end when, when I sat down with my wife and our life insurance agent, and she found out that I was going over 120 miles an hour, <laughs> and she said, yeah. well, you'll be in a different category if you keep that up, and Not my right. wife says, no, he won't, and that was the, <laughs> that was the end. end of that. Uh, and, uh, That's fair. And now everything I ride in has four wheels, or six, as in <laughs> the case yeah. of a fire truck. Yeah. Right, exactly. What did you want to be when you grew up, and what was your first job? I think we touched on that initially, uh, yeah. you know, the, the firefighting thing. Uh, but as a young person, my first job was a busboy. Oh, yeah. And I think I was 14 years old. Yeah. So you'd, my parents would be in jail if that happened today because <laughs> of employment laws. But yeah. uh, I worked for uh, one of the summer restaurants down at Agunquit Beach, just bussing oh, yeah. tables, just over the bridge on the right. And I, I the name escapes me right now. But uh, yeah. It was a man and his, and his wife, they, they lived in Florida and came up here in the summer and operated a little tiny hmm. breakfast, lunch place right on the beach, and yep. he gave me my first opportunity. Nice. And uh, <laughs> I was a rich person making, you know, $20 a week or whatever. It felt that way yeah, at the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was school like for you? Did you like school or not? I think, I think school was fun. I didn't dread going to school other nice. than some mornings getting up. You right. know, like we all do. It <laughs> seems like you can, you can, you could sleep another day when you have to get up, and when you don't have to get up, you're wide awake early. Yes, quite. But I I enjoyed it. I probably didn't take full advantage of school. Like I look back now and say, mm -hmm. yeah, if I had paid attention better here or done more research on this progress uh, pro project, maybe I would be in a different position or place than I am now, or even hmm. a different whole career. Yeah. yeah. But uh, you know. Um, I got through it. I got pretty good grades. I was in a, you know, different pathways in school. I was in industrial arts. 
Okay, yeah. So, uh, again, the mechanical skills and things like that that my father had shared with me, yeah. that's what we did with woodworking and so on. And there were three of us that were kind of like buddies in industrial arts, Peter Jellison, Scott Mayo, and myself. We created our own little business in high school called oh. Bent Nail Construction. The company really never made any money, but we built dugouts for the little leagues in, oh, in okay. Wells Ogunquit. So wow. that, we were big deals back then. <laughs> <laughs> but, I like that. <laughs> but overall, no, school was good, and uh, I had good relationships with uh, most of my teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, I, w- I don't know if they would say the same thing, but uh, <laughs> didn't spend too much time in detention. I think the, w- the year that I graduated... And we won't have to talk about the numbers. <laughs> Unlike most schools today, they do the top 10. Yeah. That year, they did the top 12. And I don't know if that was to include me or not. Oh. But I was in the top 12. Nice. Because I think we graduated 52 people. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, Still, uh, it's a top 12. It was a good percentage. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, just really quickly off of that, because I was just interested in why you selected this. So for Oklahoma, yeah. what, do they have a special... Uh, fire program is that what yeah. you chose that yeah because um, I was a, a junior in the fire department down in Agunquit mm-hmm. and uh, the chief introduced me to a gentleman that would summer in Agunquit oh. and his name was Barry Bush I don't think it's any relation to President Bush yeah. <laughs> but he was the state fire marshal for New Hampshire oh and you know he, he'd come over weekends and things like that so the chief Bruce Bernard introduced me to, to Barry and Barry went to Oklahoma State Oh, and right. he saw the interest there, and he said, well, maybe this is something you do. So he helped connect me to that. Wow. And at the time, Oklahoma State was the best school in the country for fire protection and safety engineering, and that's uh, where I went. Wow. Yeah, Long way excellent. from home. Um, so this is switching gears, but tell me about a piece of art that resonated with you. Younger in life, I was not a big fan of art or things like that. Most. Yeah. Most young kids aren't. <laughs> that's probably unfortunate, but uh, I was in Telluride, Colorado, skiing one year with some friends, and we went to a, a gallery out there, and I saw this painting, and it was birch trees, a landscape setting with birch trees and things, and as you studied it, there were uh, Indians on horses that blended into this painting. So wow. as you looked at it, they came out at you. And then once you saw them, it was hard not to see them. Yeah, oh, wow. And uh, it was That's by amazing. an artist named Bev Doolittle. And she's still in business today. Wow. And uh, through help of a friend, I was able to find a <laughs> website that took me back to that time. But, wow. Uh, That's fantastic. It was a, it's a neat picture. She has a bunch of other ones where like a buffalo drinking out of a pond. And when you first look at it, you see a rock by a pond. And then as you look at it, the buffalo appears. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So they're they're pretty neat. I like that. This is a a random question, but when did you first use a computer? (laughs) That was a difficult question. (laughs) I was on Facebook Marketplace in the last couple of weeks, and I noticed someone's selling a Texas instrument handheld calculator. Yeah. And I remember going to college, and it's like, those things were like two hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, yeah. These were on sale for like five bucks. So I don't <laughs> I know. know if that was the first computer, yeah, but true. it's like that's true. man, that set some age. But <laughs> I think the actual physical computer that we sat down would probably have been with the fire department up in Sanford. Okay, yeah. And yeah. it was DOS. Sure. And it had r- very little ability there. <laughs> yeah. Someone would aim me in the right direction and we would start with it. Yeah. And, uh, exactly. You know, nowadays our lives are focus around computers mm-hmm. and 
if we unplugged them for a day, we'd probably be lost. Be lost, yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, we'd lose our memory because my, yeah, my cell right. phone is probably as powerful as <laughs> more powerful than that first computer. And oh, totally. I refer to my cell phone as my memory because everything's in it that that's I need a, to know. That's a really good point. <laughs> um, so looking beyond what we were talking about, what do you wish you knew more about? Well, there's always, there's <laughs> always stuff out there that you desire to learn more about. Well, we realize at a later age, as we look back, it's like, man, I'd like to do some of that. And that's the great thing about adult ed, or yeah. even going back to school. But uh, certainly computers is a big thing, because mm-hmm. I always run into a, a wall, and it was good when my daughter was home, because if you ever have a computer problem, you always ask someone about 14 years old, and they <laughs> yeah. can straighten you around. We should, right. we should have a consultant at the firehouse for that. You know? I know. Yeah, <laughs> Somebody that's true. answers. But, you know, computers is a big thing, because we do it every day. But I think any of that day-to-day life stuff that you get involved with that would be you find times where it's like oh yeah I'm going to learn more about that and that's the great part about the the internet Mm, because no matter what you want to know it's there yeah and somebody's done it or they can aim you in a direction so you don't have to reinvent the wheel right you just listen to what they say and if if you don't get everything from them then you go on to the next person and and now with Facebook, you can even watch it. You don't have to read it. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Whatever topic, it's it's amazing. That's and, true. And and how the kids in school aren't getting A's all the time. <laughs> you know, I was not an A student, so I say that. But uh, there's just so many ways to learn so many things. That's true. That's, that's a really uh, good point. That's amazing. Um, if you suddenly became an artist, what would you create? Do you think? Uh, certainly, I'm not. I don't have the skill to paint. Yeah. So it wouldn't be an artist in that sense. I think um, my daughter worked down at the port mm-hmm. during her high school years, and in her shop they had figurines made out of nuts and bolts and wrenches oh, and yeah. spoons I've and those. Yeah. things like that. Love that. The ability to have that that vision to make that stuff. And there's a guy that I've seen on Channel Six News that does sculptures with nails. Oh, cool. And he just puts these marvelous things together, just made yeah. out of nails. And it's like, <laughs> where, how did you see that? Right, You know, yeah. I guess it's, it's, the talent to do it is one thing, but the vision to put it all together is, is really that. neat. So probably along that line, making some type of a figurine type yeah, of thing. Yeah, I can see that. Sculpture. Tell me what you would do if time travel existed. Would you use it? Some people say they wouldn't use it at all. Some people would travel somewhere. I don't know. It's... Do you use it a lot or a little? You know, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's, uh, could be could be good or bad, but uh, you know, I think going back and to meet my ancestors more and, and yeah. learn about that. But to you know, people say, oh, the, the the life was simple back then, and it's like, well, we look at it now and say, yeah, it's simple. But to those folks, it was difficult. Right. Yeah. You know? Oh, I mean, exactly. What we take for granted now, running water and bathrooms, I think our grandparents didn't have that. Yeah. Or maybe didn't have one. Yeah, right. You know, my, my grandmother lived in Five Islands. It, she had an outhouse. Oh, sure. Yeah, no indoor toiletries. <laughs> and it's like, wow, who would have thought? Yeah. And yeah, Maine has hunting camps like that now. But if you brought a person up here from New York City and said, hey, you have to go out to that little house out there. When you have to. <laughs> yeah. So I think to go yeah. back and to learn more about that and help you appreciate more what we have now. Or That's maybe, a good point. maybe treat the the world that we live in better mm-hmm. because with all of our technologies and all the things that we do, are we helping or hurting? Yeah, that's so. a really good question. So war touches most of our lives in one way or another. How are you related to that? Just through my family. Mm-hmm. My father 
Chris uh, was a World War II veteran. Okay, yeah. And so that was pretty interesting to, to talk to him ab about that. Yeah. Um, he never got to go to Washington, D.C. with like the uh, honor flights oh, that we have now, yeah, right. which would have been pretty cool. Yeah, uh, that would have been neat. But I did go down and take a picture of that and bring it back to him, and he oh, had nice. that on his wall, so that was pretty neat. And then my brother uh, served in the Special Forces. Wow. In the, in the military. He okay. was over in Germany and things Jeez. like that. So wow. That, uh, that was pretty neat. Yeah. And, but gosh. he doesn't talk much about that. That's fair. And as well with most veterans, you know, they, yes. they served that country, and we appreciate that for all that they did for us, but uh, they're, they're quiet heroes. Yes, that's quite yeah. right. What is one thing you wished for in the future? Well, as we talk about today, aside from a COVID-free mm. world, yeah, yeah. That, that would, that <laughs> would be, be nice. wonderful. Yeah. That's, I think that's within sight, so yeah. that's not really Quite. off in the future too far. But, you know, I, I, I'm trying to be serious with this, but I think to stop the political insanity that's going on, you know, yeah, right. this, uh, the name-calling and the fighting and all that, it's got to an extreme. But uh, I, think, I think as I've worked through my career and all that, yeah. That when I retire, hope to have a healthy retirement. Right. You know, that's probably the big thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've seen too many people, you know, work hard all their life and retire and something devastating mm -hmm. happens. Uh, uh, my father, when he worked in the phone company, he and another gentleman entered in at the same time and requ uh, retired within a few months. Yeah. The other guy never made it past six months. Right. Oh, and right. And it's like, oh, my goodness, you know. <laughs> I know. My dad, because, you know, lived on for... 25 plus yeah. years and so really enjoyed it and you see a lot of folks that are retired enjoying that so that's that's probably the big thing that's a really good yeah. hope you're right people work all their lives yeah. just to yeah hopefully and then, spend and then once joy. they get to the end of the yeah they get to walk through that gate and it's like oh my goodness right it, maybe we need to just take better care of ourselves to assure that yes that's too right all right and last question why is history important I think history is important, uh, you know, and we talked about that a little bit about going back into the past or right. future in the time machine because I think it helps us understand where we came from and what the country was like beforehand mm -hmm. or any of this stuff. And so uh, we, we learn to appreciate more of where we are today and yeah. where we come from and who helped make it easy for us today. Yeah, you know, as as I go home at night and take a shower, or use the bathroom, you think about your grandparents without any of that stuff, and you know that whole progression of how that something that simple yeah. happened. Or uh, my grandmother was born in 1900. Oh sure. And and when she passed away, it was easy to tell her how old she was because whatever yeah, year it was. That, yeah, but, exactly. But we would often sit and talk. This was my mother's mother. Okay. Talk about the things that she saw change in her lifetime. Yeah. That I don't know if we're seeing it. I mean, we're seeing some of it as far as computers and cell phones and like that. But yeah. I mean, there were no cars. Yeah, and right. She came <laughs> through that whole horse and buggy into cars and into, you know, buses and trains and airplanes. And, and it's like, right. oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's true. You know, how much change can you withstand? I mean, that's and they true. adapted really well. And, you yeah. know, I, I joke about having a hard time with a computer. That's just one thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's you know, true. can I walk and chew gum? You know? <laughs> but uh, I think knowing the history of the country and, you know, the bad times and the good times, and, and people recently are talking about it with this COVID thing. You know, mm -hmm. they think this is a, you know, 
uh, oh, this is terrible, but look back to the, to the pandemics we've had in the past. Yeah. And we didn't have the excellent medicine that we have now that's helping people stay alive back then. And you think of the iron lung era yeah. and, oh my goodness. So uh, yeah, that uh, really, it's like, man, we've got it pretty neat today. Even though we can't snap our fingers and solve this COVID, yeah. uh, we have people that understand how to deal with it and what we should be doing. And we, we make our choices based on <laughs> what we think or feel. Right, exactly. But, uh, I, th I think it certainly is important. If you talk about high school and history and the wars or the battlefields and things like that, Gettysburg, when we studied mm. that in high school, it's yeah. like, yeah, it's just another battle. Right. But since then, I've had an opportunity to go to Gettysburg. Oh, yeah. And it's like the learning that took place in that day or two that I was there far exceeded the time I spent oh, exactly. in the classroom. Yeah. And it's like, it's. It's too bad we couldn't take our students and just time transport them to Gettysburg yeah. and say, here's the lesson for today. And yeah. again, that appreciation or that understanding of what what went on there yeah. and how, you know, the, the way that they fought and the way that they died, yeah. you know, by lining up and shooting at just one shooting. another. Yeah. No defense. We didn't yeah. hide. We stood right out in the open. You <laughs> right. know, uh, when, when people play paintball, you know, they're hiding behind objects and things like that. And these... These, these guys would, would just line up and shoot at one another, and right. yeah, the front guys would get killed, and the back guys would move forward, and then they'd get shot, and yeah. holy smoke. I know, but, uh, it's frightening, actually. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you think about, you know, and that's just one small piece of history. So is there anything that we didn't touch on that, that always. came to mind? Yeah, I know. <laughs> there's always a, always a ton of, there's always a lot, and, and this is a great opportunity and I appreciate it because these questions stirred some thought about my past and yeah. what things meant and all that. And I'm kind of a, a you know, I kind of joke a lot. But as I <laughs> as I thought about some of these questions, it was it was pretty neat. Yeah. And oh, it gave me an great. opportunity to to go back and think about that and reflect on it. So, yeah. uh, you know, I appreciate that. Thank oh, you. Well, thank you for taking part. Yeah. I appreciate it as well. You know, and I would say whoever else gets invited, it's a great opportunity. And Oh, Maybe you? those questions should just be out on your website. I know, say, I probably should. Yeah, think see who think wants about to these and yeah. see see how you would answer these. Right. And, uh, you know, does it make you, after you do these 20 some odd questions, do you appreciate life more? Oh, it's yeah. It's a simple and, and corny kind of thing, but, but does it have some meaning to you? Yeah. A fantastic advertisement yeah. for that. <laughs> well, thank you very much oh, for spending the time today. I'm glad to take a few minutes out of the busy, <laughs> yeah. busy day, yours and mine. To, uh, I think yours is busier, but, well, but thank you. <laughs> we're all busy in our own way. And right. <laughs> no job is less important than another. We all have an important part in life. So thank you. If you have a suggestion for our Citizen Spotlight series, and there's someone in the community you would like to hear from, don't hesitate to contact us at info at brickstoremuseum.org and suggest a name. We love learning from a people of a variety of backgrounds, and we look forward to exploring their histories with you, and thanks for sharing with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Brick brought to you by the museum's proud business partners. Questions, comments, and topic suggestions can be emailed to info at brickstoremuseum.org. Please tune in to next month's show to dive into more Kennebunk history, art, and culture, 
And to learn more about what the museum does year-round, please visit our website at www.brickstoremuseum.org.